lords, ladies, and commoners. Welcome to the Plot is Optional podcast. We are very uh, excited to bring you a special edition um, historical romance interlude. Today, um, I'll allow you to use my my first name, my common name, but uh, I'm Allie, and today I am joined by my good friend and fellow Bridgerton addict slash person I live text while I'm watching the show, Jory! Hello! But today we're not talking about Bridgerton. Yeah, Yeah, today we're not talking about Bridgerton. Uh, We are going to be talking about Lisa Cloyvas and her uh, Ravenel series, specifically Cold Hearted Rake today. So, you know, this is going to be a multi part thing. We're going to do more of this. Yeah. The Ravenels! I love them. I love the Ravenels and their temperament. <laughs> oh, that that nasty Ravenel temper. I get it. I'm an Aries moon. Got Some, my... Sometimes I too just want to get drunk and fall off the back of a horse. Oh, I frequently, yeah. I am not even a horse person, but yeah. So, um, I think one thing that I want to talk about beforehand that mm-hmm. I feel like is a good time to cover this is I think a lot of people think. Like, if you're in the romance community, you, like, the readers, you might not think about, like, these sort of books necessarily as smut. Because it's it's kind of like, you know, a grandmother's books. But I think Lisa Claypass kind of, like, she gets into the smut territory. And I just wanted your opinion on that. Like, the definitions of smut and where historical romance like this fits in. Um, because I think, given people outside of the romance community, who I guess is a large part of um, our listenership right now, um, this would be considered smut. So I don't know. It's it's kind of I was hesitant, but at the same time, I was like, I just really want to talk about historical romance sometimes, and not all the time like the weird shit we've been doing. Even though I love the weird shit, <laughs> sometimes you need a break. No, I feel that. Um, well, yeah. for starters, I would say, like, for me, there is a very big difference between smut, quote unquote, and porn. Like, yes. there's a lot of people who like to say, like, oh, these books are my pornography or like those books are just like pornography for women. And it's like, no, there is pornography for women and it is exists all over the Internet. <laughs> these these books are not that. Um, I mean, some of them I would say are. The, they, some of them that we we read are, but yes. <laughs> but these specifically, I don't think fall into the category of like pornography. Um, yeah. I do think they are definitely smutty. You are right about that. So I remember like sneaking my mom's romance novels when I was a teenager, and most of hers mm-hmm. had been published um, in like the late eighties into like the mid to late nineties. Yeah, and the I golden was, age with Fabio and yeah. But I, I will say that, books. like, my mom, I know, I love the old, the vintage step backs. I could, ugh, I could spend hours looking for old step backs. But I do think that, like, what my mom was reading versus what I'm reading now is, like, it's, like, really different. It is. I think the closest, I think the closest to what my mom liked and what I liked, the closest, like, overlap we got was, like, Susan Elizabeth Phillips, who does, like, contemporary rom-com type stuff. Um mm-hmm. But she was really into, like, Nora Roberts. 
Um, and I don't think those books qualify as like especially yeah. smutty. No, I I've only read like a little bit of Nora Roberts, and yeah, I don't I don't think so. But like I think Lisa Claypass at least because I'm I'm hesitant to put like. Julia Quinn, despite some of the very racy scenes in the smut category, just I think maybe I, because I've just read so much, so much. Um. Yeah, <laughs> I think I think not all of the Bridgerton series specifically is created equal. There are varying degrees oh, of smut. No, in the not books. at all. Like, like it, you can't read *Romancing Mr. Bridgerton* and um, *It's in His Kiss* and agree that that's the same. Oh yeah, no. Um, so, I mean, there's, there's varying degrees of chili pepper. That's usually the system I give you when I recommend yes, stuff. I was going to say, pepper. I was just talking about the chili pepper system in our first episode. Or no, not our first episode with Grant in the, the Vampire Night Us Consway book. Um, so yes, the chili pepper system is the system that a lot of smut people use. And I would say that the Ravenelles, that's like... On average, a, a solid three to four chili pepper. I'm going to be honest. Out oh, wait, of okay. So five. my chili pepper system is actually a little different. Okay, so okay. Yours for, is, me, yours is different. I, for me, it's like one chili pepper is like, like there's a little steam here, but like you could read this book anywhere and it's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, two chili peppers is like, this book is like pretty steamy. You can read this in public if you want. I maybe wouldn't. And then the three chili peppers is do not read this book in public. <laughs> I don't know. Um, like I just not based on crowd reaction, based on like how I am reacting to the material. I can't some yes, of these yes. books I'm like, I can't read this in public. Yeah. Um I would say most of Lisa Claypuss's books, like for me, fall between two and three chili peppers. Yeah. Um it's also because like they're really funny. And so it's hard yes. to like read them or listen to them in public and not like have like a big reaction to what's happening. And, and people like, are like, What's going on? Like, what are you reading? Um I'm also reading so good at, like <laughs> She's also so good at like the swoony language too. It's like yes. sometimes I'm like, I don't know if I can read this in front of other people. I'm gonna blush. They're so sweet. But also Correct. her like I think part of what kind of brings it more to like you could probably read it in public is her attention to historical details is amazing. So much attention to historical detail. Like, there's just so many layers to each one of her books. Like, you're getting a history lesson. You're getting a character study of, like, different people. You're getting a class mm-hmm. study. You're getting a romance. You're getting smut. Um, yeah. and, and you're getting a happily ever after. Exactly. Like, that's the other... That's the part that really... I think... I don't... I've never read a romance novel without happily ever after. And I don't think I could. <laughs> I um, I have read ones that are like happily ever after question mark or like not happily ever after and yeah I for me at that moment there's a lot of back and forth about if you can still consider it a romance novel but I feel like as long as the romance is the central storyline even if it ends badly it's a romance novel so I'll yeah. just say romance novels that don't end even if it's not ending in a marriage as look if it doesn't end happily what did we just go through all of that. Or. Yeah, why do why did we do this to ourselves? And I, I know a lot of people are like, I wanted to tear my heart apart. I'm like, okay, but I didn't. But you can do that and then have it knit back together by the end of the book. Yeah. Like, there are plenty that do that. Y'all want some angst? We can give y'all some angst. But I just need to know that at the end of the day, these kids are going to work it out. Yes, yes. Please work it out. 
um, which is great about Lisa Clayfast's books. So yeah, um, cold-hearted uh, rake. Yeah, uh, where do we start? Because it's such a good introduction to this family. Um, yes. We've well, got, usually, the, like, yeah. the first novel for me oftentimes is one of my favorites just because you do get, like, that springboard and you get to yes. see where everybody starts. Yes. Um, and which makes it even sweeter when you see how it ends. Now, this is not always true. Sometimes the debut novel is the worst one, and that's true with Bridgerton. But oh, with Bridgerton. Uh, so true with Bridgerton. We but, hate and, Daphne uh, and Simon here. Like, uh, ugh, no. Yeah, I can't. And well, you know what's funny is, there's... But there's anyway. a moment, there is a moment in Cold Hearted Rake that echoes a specific moment in Bridgerton, and it is handled so differently. Mm-hmm. And we'll get yes. to that when we get to that. But yeah, we'll get to that when we get to that, that, but it is handled completely differently. Yes. And yeah, I had a moment where I was like, mm, I don't know, I hated this in Bridgerton. But like, Everyone but hated this in Bridgerton. Like, it's it was a big in a thing. very different way here. Yeah, it does. <laughs> But I think, like, it really, Cold Hearted Rake really is such a quintessential Lisa Kleypas book. Like, you have sizzling chemistry within, like, the first few pages. Yes. Like, I don't know how this woman does it, but it really is, like, the minute the the male and female romantic leads start talking, it's just instant, like, fireworks on the page. It She's is. She's so it good is. at writing banter, writing chemistry. Um, so <sighs> you're, getting, you're getting amazing chemistry. You're getting a really cool history lesson. You're getting a man who learns things. You're getting a woman who betters herself. Like you're getting, yeah, you really getting the whole package. Like, I think so many like historical stuff. Like the woman is so like sweet. Yeah, or and she's like, already like we, so perfect. We get that in like the second book, which we'll get to eventually. That the character is so sweet, but um, she has to learn how to be not as sweet. But like, I think her books are great because. These characters are deeply flawed, all yes. of them. Like all of them. I I think I was I I described it to you in a text. I was like, these are like Jane Austen on a bad day. Like the social satire of it yes. is amazing. Um, yeah, especially because like she the premise the conceit of it is set up so well. Like yeah, do you want to part... do you want to talk about the conceit of it so we're not yeah. just like right right okay uh, so. Essentially, the Ravenel family is this like extremely old um, family of the taunt. Their um, earldom goes back like five hundred years or something. Like it's pretty wild. Yeah. yeah. Um, they so like, they are. Yeah, they're it back a big to deal. like King Arthur or something. I, I don't know. <laughs> Not it's King so Arthur, like, but yeah. definitely like the Crusades. Like this is yeah. a very established, well-to-do English family. And of course, because it is, this book takes place in the latter half of the 19th century, we are getting lots of like poor nobility at this stage because, hmm, I wonder what happens when you just like bleed your tenants dry and don't work. Maybe you run out of money eventually. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So unlike most of these like historical books where like there's a historical billionaire somewhere and there there will be historical billionaires, don't get me wrong, but in this specific (laughs) setup... The Ravenels are dirt ass poor. And then yes. you also have, so you have like a fourth cousin coming in to inherit who wants nothing to do with anything. And of course, you know, hearts change and all this stuff. And he finds family, which love that trope. Yes. Um, Look, but at the beginning of the book, he's like, he inherits this from his cousin who just died. Literally three months before this, just his cousin who he did not like, who by all accounts is a horrible person. <laughs> 
um, he, he got bucked off a like horse really. and died. Yeah. Um, and so he, after three months three, of putting it off. Three days after his wedding. Yeah, literally three days after this guy's own dumbass wedding, he flings himself off a horse and dies. Um, and so now his widow, who is the best, um, she, his yeah, sisters are just like rusticating in the country in this like far off old ass house. Like, yeah, the house itself is like an old monastery. It is like 400 years old. It is very, very not Her up descriptions to date. Of him coming into the house and like looking at it literally falling apart around him is so yeah. good. Like just because like. Anybody else would look at this house and be like, it's historic, it's stately. And he's like, this is a dump. This is a dump and it's falling apart around this, you. This is a dump with mourning curtains on the windows, so it's now a mausoleum, too. This is Grey Gardens level of <laughs> yeah. dump. And, and, and then you have, well, you have the widow, but you also have the three Ravenel sisters who have just been left to, to their own devices here yeah. in the country. They've just so, been fully feral. Pretty much, yeah. And so what's unique about them joining the aristocracy eventually is that, like, they also are, they're like us. They're coming at this from, like, yeah, they don't actually know how this is supposed to work. And, like, all the specific rules and things they have to follow kind of rankle each of them in, in different ways. Um, yes. That's not to say they're like, oh, I'm not like other girls. I don't want that kind of life. The, most of them aren't saying that. But it's still, no. it's still a dress they, that doesn't quite fit. But like you know they don't understand how the world works and they think honestly that it's dumb yeah um, yeah yeah but they're also like really romantic all they've had for company is like some farm animals and some books yes um so they're just incredibly naive um and very 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 sheltered which leads to problems for them later in the books but and in this case devon who is the hero has inherited this crumbling estate um, and four women with no, not a penny to their names, and he does not know what to do with. Um, and, and he's so, already just like, I'm going to sell this estate yes. and leave because I don't want it. <laughs> like, literally, the minute he finds out it's not entailed, he's like, cool, let's get rid of it. And his brother, Weston Ravenel, one of the best men ever put to page. Oh, God, like, I love him so much. Yes. I would be him if I could. <laughs> well, and at the time, West is um, uh, an indolent from London who drinks his life away and doesn't have a single intelligent thought. However, because this is Lisa Clapus, he's immediately charming and funny and you can't help but like him anyway. Um, and of course, because this is also a Lisa Clapus novel, men learn and change things and grow. Um, and so he doesn't stay useless for long. Like not even midway through the book. By like midway through the yeah, book, he's like I a fully gonna... changed dude. <laughs> he just like suddenly is like, you know what? This is fascinating and i've never done a day of work in my life i'm bored literally literally all it took was kathleen like yelling at him about like making his brother's life harder and how the world doesn't revolve around him and then he spends the day sobering up realizes oh the world doesn't revolve around me and and changes accordingly it's it's pretty crazy and and kathleen is the widow here um she is the hero um and does not take devin shit like whatsoever no. at the beginning he's just like and well, they live had... to oh, challenge each other correct like it, it the thing is like she would walk outside and be like oh what a beautiful like sunshiny day and like the day would be objectively sunshiny and gorgeous and just to piss her off Devin would walk outside and be like oh this weather's terrible it's too hot 
<laughs> it's 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 awful weather. Um, just to get a reaction out of her. Yeah. Like fully pulling her pigtails. Um, and so I, but like, so Devin and West had like a pretty traumatic upbringing. Um, their parents were not, they didn't love each other. They were really like hard people. Their father was a drinker. Um, and they lost both of their parents fairly young. Um, and so they spent a lot of time like being like the fourth cousins of a, of a noble, but dying family. They were just like the, the bumpkin cousins that nobody wanted anything to do with. And they really just had to survive their childhood. And so now they've both grown up with like, now that they've come into their little baby inheritance, they just want to live their lives as they see fit. They're not very interested in like marriage and family because they have no good blueprint to work off of. And they're like, we're Ravenels, and this family, by the way, is very much like, we have the Ravenel temper. Ugh, the um, Ravenel temper. The, so which, the Ravenel temper is like the yeah. biggest myth in these books. Um, I was going to say, about the Ravenel temper. They keep talking about the Ravenel temper, and then every time you see it, you're like, okay, get a grip. This isn't yeah. that bad. Okay, fine. You were right. Oh, you're mad. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think the one time that the Raven El Temper is accurately described is in the second book with um yes. when uh what's her name? The lady. Uh she talks about them being unconventional and she's just like the Raven El Temper. I'm like, yeah. okay, that's you finally get it. You're the only one lady. And I love her a little bit. Anyway. Yeah. We'll get lady to Derek. Her. Well definitely. Yeah, Lady, lady Derek. Derek. Thank you. I love her. Who, like, and the thing is, the way Kathleen talks about her and, like, Kathleen's memories of Lady Barrack. Wait, I'm skipping ahead, but we'll we'll definitely talk about Lady Barrack. But Kathleen has also not had a conventional upbringing. Oh, no. uh, Kathleen yeah, she... was a, she was abandoned by her parents. So, she, so Kathleen comes from Irish nobility, which already makes her an outsider. Mm-hmm. Um, and her parents were horse breeders and trainers, and they're absolutely, they're horse people. We all know who horse and people they, are. They're they weird as shit. wildly in love with each other. Yes. And not Kathleen. Um, and so they dumped Kathleen with distant friends, the barracks, um, while they went off to like Egypt and Arabia to like get new horses and stuff. And then sure enough, they died because of that. Leaving Kathleen. Oh, no, that's not true. Her mom no, died they later. Don't die. they, they don't die. Um, I forgot. Her mom, her mom died. died later. Yeah. Yeah. Her um, mom dies, but her dad is just like around and does not yeah. care about her at all. Yeah, most of the time doesn't remember he has a daughter. Um, and so she was raised from the time she was like five or six by the barracks. And now the barracks are very, very, again, old aristocracy. They are very old fashioned. Lady Barrack um, does things the very traditional way. Um, so specifically with Kathleen's courtship. Um, now, Kathleen has a lot of internal like monologues specifically regarding Lady Barrack and Lady Barrack's absolutely unhinged old fashioned advice. Yeah, I was going to say Lady Barrack's old fashioned advice and like tips about like, don't do this. That's unladylike, um, which yeah. Kathleen inflicts upon um, the sisters a lot yes. because, once again, Pandora and Cassandra, they're all named after Greek figures. Yes. Um, Pandora and Cassandra are the twins and they are fully feral they just romp around and that's not useful in this world for women um unfortunately um and then helen is always yeah and then helen is just beautiful and lovely and wants to tend to her orchids (sighs) and she's, she's i love her 
Um, and it is it is really important that they establish in this book, because um, it was a plot point later, that Helen is the only one who does not have the Ravenel temperament. Yes. She is quiet and lovely and people-pleasing, and she mm-hmm. is the one who takes care of the orchids, and she talks about how Kathleen hates the orchids and one of the orchids in particular is just like super smelly and temperamental and Kathleen's just like I don't understand and Helen is like sometimes you have have to love love something before it becomes lovable lovable. and I'm like that is the sweetest thing because she says it again in book two yeah Um. because that's kind of how I feel about my cat I'm gonna be honest (laughs) (laughs) he's terrible and I love him um I don't have to give him a home is my frequent threat to him. Um, As if I could ever kick my cat out, though. Like, he's the worst, but I'm also like, but this is also my son. Yeah, he's my horrible trash son that loves my husband more than me. Um, Very same. Yeah. But yeah, so, um, so yeah, Lady Barrack is a big part of Kathleen's internal monologue, which is so funny to me because, like, just getting the bits we get of, of Kathleen's memory of Lady Barrack, you don't really like Lady Barrack. And then you meet no. her and you're like, all right, this old broad knows what's up, though. Yeah, you don't um, really like her at first, even when you first meet her. But then eventually you're like, okay, I love you. Yeah, by the time you get to Cassandra's book, you're like, Lady Barrack for president, Lady Barrack for prime minister, whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah, because she's, you find she's, out she's just doing the thing to survive, and she understands the way the world works. And like, despite being harsh, she's very yeah. like kind. Like she's all on her, the girl yes, side. She's so kind. All of her advice to Kathleen comes from a place of fear and anxiety, and just wanting to protect Kathleen. And mm-hmm. that, and the same goes for the other sisters too. In the later books, like she she knows what this world does to women who don't follow the right path like she knows what happens like she's seen it all and she's like determined to protect the girls um but at this moment in time like she's all up in kathleen's head yeah i was gonna say we just know her from kathleen's head and Mm -hmm. know that kathleen loves her deeply but has this internalized lady barrack voice and so everything with kathleen in this book that she like has impulsively with Devin, she's at the same time, just like, we can't do that. That's very inappropriate. And so Lady she's Barrick in, said I couldn't do that. Yeah, she's in like deep mourning too. Like she's only she was only married to her husband for three days, and yet she is subjecting herself to the deepest of mourning rituals. Which yes. in this era, like the mourning wear was even deadly. Like I think Yeah, they're breathing in that dye and the dye is yeah. like kind of toxic. Yeah. And like, and they're wearing like the full veils. She's in the stiff crepe. All the windows yeah. are covered in these heavy, heavy blacks. Yeah. Um, like she, and then she frets all the time about like it would be unseemly to take things down early. It would be unseemly to do this while they're in mourning. She very much wants to, to the have rules. fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and of course, the girls who are never close to their brother. Um, they they're not particularly concerned with staying in mourning forever either because at this point in the books they have been in mourning for four years yes. because they lost their mother and then they lost their father and now they've lost their brother so at this point they are adults like the twins are 19 helen is 21 they have still not come out they have not had a season and it, it seems like nobody had any plans for them to come out or have a season at any point in time oh yeah no 
the parents totally just focused on their son. Yeah. The whole time. Um, so, so Devin knows right away they're going to be a problem. Because they, you can't put them to work. They're aristocrats. They've never worked a day in their lives, and they're not useful for anything. Um, they're not prey to be married off, except to title hunters, because they have no money. Now, because yeah. they are Earl's daughters, they'll always have a courtesy title. They'll always be mm-hmm. Lady Pandora, Lady Cassandra, Lady Helen. Um, and whoever but, they marry gets the title as well. Yeah. But they do not have any money to entice anybody. And at this point, if they want to marry within their class, they don't have money to be prey because nobody, nobody in their class has money either. Uh, all yep. of the aristocracy is going broke. Um, and so heiresses really are the name of the game right now. Um, and so it's acknowledged a few times throughout the novel that their only real options are going to be like super, super old people who just need a baby maker, um, people who are hunting for a title or like third or fourth sons who are probably also useless rakes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so, and so Kathleen right, is just like, they're too innocent for useless rakes. Um, yeah. And, which, and Kathleen, meanwhile, like wants what's As we hear in Bridgerton, though, reformed yeah. makes make, make the best, best husbands. <laughs> yes. And I think, I think at the end of this book, Kathleen would agree with that. But, oh, yes. Um, but yeah, so um, so Devin knows they're in dire straits, um, and he's doesn't know what to do with them. Kathleen's insisting that like once she gets her jointure back, like she'll just fuck off to the country somewhere in a beautiful little cottage with the girlies, and yeah. they'll just live out a spinsterly existence, which is like yeah, I was gonna say they'll real Kathleen. Their, they'll, they'll live their their nice little life, but like yeah, but okay, but she like, like do you can get a Kathleen job as really governess? Yeah, do you really think that Kathleen thought that would happen though? Like, Kathleen is um, so practical. She's not that She delusional. is so practical, but, like, I do think she would have made it work. I just don't. I don't know how serious she was about useless. that. I think she, I think she would have made it work, and I think eventually she probably would have remarried. I, I think so, too. Morning. Yeah. But, but we do have to get to her marriage. Okay. Yes. So, Kathleen was married to Theo for all of three days. Prior to their wedding night... They had never, ever, not one time spent any moment alone together. Lady Barrick chaperoned them at all times. Yes. So what's proper. And so at this point, we know that Theo was a bag of shit. But what a surprise to Kathleen on her wedding night when this drunken man crawls on top of her in the wee hours of the morning and, like, basically tries to rape her. Yeah, and she wants no part of it and obviously leaves yeah he leaves in a huff but also she's only been given like a bare bones explanation of what's about to happen by lady barrack her only other source of info is again she's a horse breeder she's a horsewoman she knows how that part works yeah i was Um, gonna say all these horse people referring to it as like horses is the funniest thing the horse language is too much but yeah so she is like very, very turned off by that, obviously, and then refuses to have Theo bed her. So at the time when he dies, and this is like a huge reveal later in the book, at the yeah. time of his death, they had not consummated the marriage. Yeah. And he, like, part of their, part of why he dies is he gets on this very sensitive Arabian horse. Angry. That was Kathleen's horse. That was Kathleen's horse and only likes Kathleen. Um, yeah. Angry. And, uh, yeah, this horse, of course, bucks him off. And he's also, like, in whipping the horse, which is 
not a good way to drain it. And Kathleen does not know that. But before he, like, fucks off and gets on this horse, um, he says he's in an argument. The servant's over here with her. And he says something like, you're not my wife. And we don't know what that means until Kathleen says that they never consummated their marriage. Um, which is... No, he said that. He said that while he was dying. He oh. literally... He literally had fallen off that horse, broke his neck, and with his last breath, looks Kathleen dead in the eye and said, you're not my wife. Oh my god, yeah, yeah, yeah. What a drama king. What a Ravenel. What a Ravenel. He was the realest of Ravenels. The Ravenelist. Like, Theo probably was the last of, like, the real Ravenels. Because it's also, like, a running plot point and joke that the Ravenel men do not last long. Yeah, they, Most they of them don't die like in their thirties or forties, which is why and also like, the line is dying. And, yeah, yeah, that's also why the line is dying because they're not staying alive long enough to produce heirs. Yes, <laughs> what a shock. Um, so yeah, so Kathleen's all mixed up about this. She's feeling immense, immense guilt for her husband's death. She's feeling guilt because she feels like she's lying by omission by not saying. That she is still a virgin. By the way, virgin widow is maybe one of my favorite historical romance tropes. Like, it's not realistic at all, but I, anytime no, it pops but, up, I just really love it. Yeah, it's great. Um, but yeah, so so this is where Kathleen is when Devin shows up. Yeah, um, and Devin, and, yeah. And Devin shows up ready to be a whole thorn in her side. And um, but, wants to kick all of them out and sell the estate and just be done with it. Because he's like, none of them are my responsibility. Yeah. But then, of course, Kathleen takes off her widow's veil and he's like, oh, maybe they could be my responsibility. I was going to say, well, she's actually kind of attractive. So, yeah, it's it's the oh, no, she's hot of it all, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, which is definitely her thing, too. Is like, I mean, Theo was hot, but like Devin's really hot is basically <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Her line of thinking. Um, and then, again, immediately, like, instant chemistry. Uh, and, of course, she immediately hates him because she walked right into him, disparaging the house to his brother, who is already mm-hmm. drunk at midday. Um, oh, dear. Talking well. about selling them all off and marrying them all off and selling her horse. Um, and so they proceed to have, like, several very heated, um, very hot, honestly, arguments where they both say things I was that are really say. mean. Yeah, they, they say things that are me- really mean. They get, I my favorite trope is like when they get really close to each other in an argument, yeah. and everybody else in the room is like, "Uh, uh <laughs> should we I be love here that. for this? <laughs> are they? Are they gonna kiss? Yeah, yeah. The answer is yes. If you leave, um, uh, yeah, pretty much. So, um, so then they have like this big, very dramatic argument. Devin says something very ugly Kathleen rushes out in the tizzy and of course in swoops lady Helen who's just always here to save the day and and gives Devin Kathleen's whole tragic backstory and the thing is Helen's so slick she's like oh I I really shouldn't say I really shouldn't say and then Devin thinks he's being so slick by acting like he doesn't want to know and Helen's like Uh oh he wants to know yeah Helen gets people deeply yeah Helen saw those two in the greenhouse during their introduction was like oh yeah this is on yeah. Um, and she, so you definitely knew before they knew. Oh, she knew. And so she gave Devin just the right amount of information to why he feels like really sorry for her and like wants to go to her. And so he rushes out in, in this big storm to go find her. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And then they have this moment where it's her first time in the stable since the morning of Theo's accident. Yeah. She ha- and the thing is, she's like a diehard horsewoman. So the fact yeah. that she stayed away from the stable for three months and away from her prized horse is like a huge deal. And it's like and, a big deal yeah. because she doesn't she hasn't cried yet and she doesn't cry. Yeah. And so, of course, she has this moment with the horse and she's feeling like really out of sorts. And, and she has guilty this, like, because she's guilty. like ignored her horse. Yes. And all he this wants is to love her. Um, yeah. And so she has a whole breakdown. And so, of course, Devin swoops in during this breakdown, even though he's like, I don't know what to do around crying women. I was going to say, I hate women crying, which is yeah. my other favorite trope is I hate yeah. women crying and then goes the women crying. Oh, no, baby. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and so he uh, folds like um, a Walmart lawn chair. Um, he is <laughs> that is the moment that he he doesn't even realize it. But that is the moment he's all in on Kathleen. Yeah, yeah. Um, so he like holds her as she cries and like comforts her. And at the end of it all, he's like, "Well, she's mine." Yeah, and this is Another in a stable, like, full of like, yeah, yeah, full stable guys. Sorry, I don't. Re- I never remember the terms for like. Horse I think they're people. like the grooms. Right? Yeah, grooms. Thank you. Oh the stable boys and the grooms. And like they're the all they're all outside. They're all outside the room, just like listening to Kathleen wail and sob. Yeah. So, so everybody already knows, like, oh, these two. Yeah. Like, so this is already a turning so point. Obvious. <laughs> like, it's they're so obvious to the point where, like, after this whole crying jag, when Devin goes out to talk to the stable master, he's like, "Hey, keep this on the DL." Stable master's like, you know, um, basically saying that Kathleen's like super available would make a great wife. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. The stable master is all for it. He is matchmaking from the jump and his cute little Yorkshire accent. Oh my god, I know. Um, so yeah, so already people are on the good ship the good ship um what do we call him? Daphlene? Daphlene? Kevin? Yeah, that's good. I was gonna say Devlin. Devlin. Devlin, yes, that's yeah. good. So yeah, right now the stable master and Helen are all aboard the good ship, Devlin. Um, but of course, because these two are stupid, they have to come through, overcome a lot of trauma. There's very flirty letters going back and forth. Devin buys oh, her a very inappropriate yeah. present she loves. Because he goes back to London. So he decides yeah. to take care of the estate. Even yeah, so after this moment, yeah, after this moment, it's a turning point for him. And really just because he's like stupid in love with Kathleen and doesn't know it yet, he decides to take on the estate and it's and try to make something of it. He doesn't know he's in love with her, but at the same time, he's like, I will have her. Yeah. And, like, he keeps talking about how, like, she's his, like, he's going to own her, yeah. it's going to be permanent, but at the same time, he's like, but we'll never get married. I can't stress that enough. I can't get married. <laughs> it's like, what do you think is going to happen here, man? Yeah. Mystery so situation? Stupid. I don't he's know. so stupid. He is. Anyway, he, do- he has a big honor trip and decides that he's going to do the right thing by the tenants and at least try to make the yeah. estate work. So he heads back to London um, to try to squeeze some pennies out of wherever he can. And he leaves West behind to look after the estate, which is a bad idea pretty much immediately. Yeah, I was going to say, on paper, it was a real bad idea. And Kathleen is just like, he's a drunken rake. And you're leaving him around innocent young women and poor tenants. Yeah. And so within 48 hours, she basically reads him the riot act, makes him feel like a dumb, big, spoiled baby. And then Which West he decides. Is at this point. He is. And then West and I decides. I love him for that. Gets over. We love him for that. 
Um, and so Wes decides he's going to get sober. Pretty much immediately. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so he, with, with the stamina of only a 24-year-old, he throws himself into farming. Yes. Um, with, like, the worst hangover of his life. <laughs> yeah, that was so good. I'm sober. <laughs> yeah. We, we've all um, been there in our 20s. Let's be real. We've all been there. Uh, not all of us had a trust fund to do it with, but we've all been there. Yeah. Um, so West um, falls in love with the girls in a very, like, paternal way. I was going to um, say, so brotherly. Yeah, he becomes so brotherly to Kathleen as well um, and just decides that, like, hey, you know what? I like being a farmer. It's, like, really crazy how into farming yeah. West gets. Like, you'll he wait till you get to his so into farming. He's so into farming. Um, to the point where when Kathleen summons Devin back after an angry tenant um, has something to say about the railroad company coming look at their land. Yeah. So um, they have a friend who's really into trains. Yes. <laughs> and because that friend him. is really into trains, he owns a lot of those trains. Mm-hmm. And so to try to squeeze some money out of the estate, Devin is considering leasing part of the land to the railroad company. They send some surveyors. They let the tenants know that they're probably going to buy the land. And the tenants freak out. And because West is gone buying some farm equipment, um, the tenants complain to Kathleen, who immediately, like, I I love how it's like, oh, no, an excuse to summon Devin back to everything. I know. An excuse to get mad at him. Like, I love to do. And so she immediately sends a telegram threatening legal action if he doesn't clear this situation the fuck up. And then is surprised when he shows up the next day. Yeah, I was going to say, oh, no, he came back immediately. Yeah. Oh, and then we get, we get another favorite trope of mine here, which is, oh, no, I've just walked into someone in the bath. Yes. Yeah, because at this point, Devin. Stay- yeah, they've been doing the- renovations on this yeah. house finally. At this point, Devin is like, all right, if I'm going to live in this rotting, falling down pile of bricks, it'll at least have indoor plumbing. Um, and so Devin's shelling out a lot of money to update the place, much to the consternation of Kathleen, who, even though she does want these modern advances, they're very inconvenient to life. So inconvenient. Um, they have to use her. They have to go through her bedroom. And so she's yeah. staying in the ma- master bedroom, which she this did. Tra- which is traumatizing for her. Yeah, because she did not want to stay in that bedroom th- since Theo died, because she blames himself for herself for his death, even though. Yeah, he's a raven. Um, but as of right now, that's the only usable bathroom upstairs. So, um, and that's where she just happens to walk in on Devin, fresh from his journey from London. Um, we get a really steamy moment where he's like pressed up against her so that his valet doesn't come in. But I think this moment is also really important because the last time a man touched Kathleen in passion, it was like an, an attempted rape. Yeah. And so Devin's like all naked and wet against her and she immediately starts to freak out. And Devin, yeah. because he is not an actual dick bag, um, comforts her, doesn't make a move. It doesn't become like a whole thing. Um, he just knows immediately that she's like really uncomfortable. Yeah. And uh, also and- he knows that his cousin was horrible. Yeah. So. And so this is a big moment for them, too, because it's Kathleen's first, like, real understanding that, like, Devin is a very different man from her husband, and he is not intentionally going to hurt her. Yeah, and that not, not all men. <laughs> not, hashtag not all men, you know? Like, most of them, but not all of them. Yeah, not all of them. 
Um, and because Kathleen has been so sheltered, she doesn't understand that like hashtag not all men. Yeah. Um, so, so this is an important moment for them. Um, and then, uh, at this point they've been flirting through like letters and now they get a chance to like flirt in person. Yeah. I was going to say they do a lot of in-person flirting. And once again, everybody in the house is like, uh, should we be here through this? And they like surreptitiously clear a lot of rooms. Like, yes, it's great. Kiss, kiss, kiss. And like, and of course, um, and of course they do actually share their first kiss during this little interlude. Um, yes. they, they have their first kiss together. It's pretty much Kathleen's like first kiss. Cause Theo yes. didn't really try any of that with her. And of course for Devin, this is now his new first, first kiss, <laughs> the, the mm-hmm. first of the rest of his life. And, um, again, at this, this is the moment where Devin becomes like fully obsessed with Kathleen. Yeah. Um, and so he leaves and goes back to London, um, because that's where he's trying to make some money happen, but not before insisting they have a big Christmas celebration where he's going to invite his bestie, um, the other best man ever written, our boy, Reese Winterborn. I love Um, him. (laughs) So as of right now, it's kind of Devin's thought that maybe he'll try to marry off one of the sisters to his billionaire besties, even though they are common born and it would technically be like a quote unquote step down. Oh, and terrible, terrible capitalists. Terrible Um, people that we love somehow. Somehow the fact that they are capitalists is like the least of my troubles. Like why? I don't know how, I don't know how this wizardry that she does, but yeah, I think I mean, we're going to get more into Reese because he's he's a different kind of guy. He's a different kind of guy. And he's very like. He is a taskmaster and expects excellence from everyone around him and is a grump. And you're just like this fucking guy. This Um, is a dude who like only knows work. He is a workaholic. He has no time for love. He has no time for softness. He has no time for excuses. His work is his life. His store is his baby. He owns yeah. a department store. The he biggest worked, one in the world. His big thing is he worked his way up from being a Welsh grocer's son. Um, oh, that's a big thing, too. He's Welsh. So he yeah. he starts oh, out as a God, Welsh grocer's Welsh. son. Sorry. The Welshman. Yeah. A Welshman. A Lady Barrack and her Welshman. But anyway. Oh, my God. So yes. he, um, he starts as a Welsh grocer's son, and then he takes like one storefront and somehow makes it an entire city block of a department store. It's the biggest one in the world. He is a billionaire probably several times over. Yeah, um, he's impossibly rich. Yeah. Um, and he, it's not really so much the money he's after it's power. Yeah. Like he wants that title so he can be in the world of the nobility and into the world where like he can have influence in society. Cause right now there's a lot of doors shut to him because yeah, he's, because he is common born there's yeah, rules that he just doesn't understand um and they they consider him to be really crass and like yeah. Yeah. very low even though he is even though he's got the money all of them dream of having most of them would never ever let their high society daughters marry him yeah um but and so and because the Devin is his best no money. yeah and because Devin is his bestie, Devin knows that. Devin also doesn't entirely give a shit about the girls marrying other nobility because 
again, they were raised kind of on the outskirts of the town, so he knows the nobility is dying. I was going to say, he also, like, hates nobility, is yeah. the other thing. He just, like, does not like anybody in it. He knows, like, it's necessary, but he hates them. Yeah. and But the thing is, like, even before he became an earl, he was still technically higher in society than Winterborn, even though Winterborn is richer than God. Yeah, um, yeah. And it's just because he has that Ravenel last name and he was in line for a title. And even though nobody thought he would get it. Yeah. Um, and so, and like, there's like, when we first meet Reese, they're on a train carriage coming up, going to Hampshire for Christmas. Um, and they're in a private train car and Winterborn's talking about how now Devin can get into like this big club, they can get into whites. Mm-hmm. Um, and, because the club they're at is for, like, second sons or, like, non-nobility, but people with money. Yeah, um, yeah. And it's not as respectable as Whites. And so Whites is a place that to Winterborn you gotta is, you got to be in like, a club. Because that's where you network. Yeah, you got to be in a club. And Winterborn sees Whites as, like, this is the dream. That's what you aspire to. Like, you want to get into Whites. And so he can't fathom that Devin is more interested in acquiring money than in acquiring power. Because Winterborn, as a hardcore capitalist, knows that all the money, that's all made up. Um, yeah, yeah. That, that's going to change with time. You're going to lose it. You're going to get more of it. But what doesn't change is your access to power. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Devin decides to exploit that a little bit by throwing Winterborn into the path of Lady Helen. Yeah, yeah. He's hardcore um, Winter Helen. <laughs> I yes. don't know what we call them. I like, I like Winter Helen. That's cute. Um, yeah, he sees the the potential of a match pretty early. Like, he doesn't see that as, like, a great match, but he sees yeah, it as, like... He talks about it to Wes, like, early yeah. on. Like, I'm gonna set her up with Winterborn. And Wes is like, really? Do you think he's a good guy for that? And he's like, Winterborn's a friend of ours. Do you think that means he's a good guy? Yeah. Like, Devin knows that, like, temperament-wise, there may be not... There may be a mismatch, but he knows that Helen's a good girl who's going to do what she's told. He knows mm-hmm. that Helen's smart enough to realize the reality of her situation. Um, and she's and, the most likely to be, like, a society lady. Like, yeah. Yeah. And, but also, Devin knows how much Winterborn craves a title. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he's got a ton of leverage. Even though he's only leveraging this, this one girl under his protection, he's got all the cards. He's got yeah. exactly what Winterborn wants, and he's about ready to make Winterborn pay through the goddamn nose for it. Mm-hmm. Um, which is not exactly, like, morally sound. Yeah, Don't I was going to say, Devin is, Devin is horrible, but we love him. Devin is just, Devin is a survivor and he is doing whatever it takes to keep that estate afloat, even if it means selling off his cousin. Um, And now, of course, because this is a romance novel, there's a big train derailment and a huge accident. Um, And this is a big turning point in the novel because, A, Winterborn is very badly wounded. Um, Yeah, which is 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 also a very good trope is... Yeah. Man is wounded, woman must tend to him, fall in love. Yes. I do love that very much. Yeah. Um, only if the man deserves it, though, and Winterborn does. He does. Um, so his leg is snapped, snapped in half. does not act like he deserves it at first. But yes, his leg is snapped. Um, also, Devin saves a whole bunch of people while also yeah, getting um, fucking hypothermia. Yes. Yeah. So, but Reese, his leg is snapped, and then a bunch of glass flew in his eyes, and he's temporarily blinded. Um, 
Yeah. And then um, at this point, Devin has also been wounded, but he's significantly less wounded than Winterborn. So he hauls Winterborn to safety and then stays in this freezing, disgusting, polluted river to save a bunch of second class passengers, which makes him like a big hero with the servants on his estate and with his tenants. And so now they're starting mm-hmm. to see him in a more respectable light. Um, meanwhile, he gets major cred, and also Wes already has this cred because he's been working with the tenants alongside in the fields, looking at their like situation, advocating for them to have better drainage. Like he is on the ball. So now the siblings definitely have cred with their their tenants. Yes, and so they're already starting to be like even more a part of the estate. Um, and so there's like this big rush to get them back to Eversby Priory, which is the the name of their house because all these old houses have names. Um, mm-hmm. And um, then we get um, a, a, what is, in my opinion, a three chili pepper scene, if only because I don't want people to listen to me watch this or read this scene because I'm going to squeal. Um, yeah. So the carriage pulls up at Eversby Priory. There's this big kerfuffle. Kathleen is beside herself with worry for Devin because she is down bad for him, even though she will not say it. Oh, yeah. Um, and this guy has this moment of revelation before he, like, dies of hypothermia in a river that, like, oh, my God, like, I, like, I'm super, super into Kathleen and I got to yeah. tell her. Yeah. Uh, I, and so that's, have, I, I have very little her. time on this earth. I need to tell but her how much I Kathleen. love her. <laughs> So that's all that is going through this man's mind as he's like, again, dying of hypothermia and a concussion and bruised ribs. Uh, He hears Kathleen's voice and like half conscious, like launches himself out of this carriage and just like plants one on her in in front of all of these servants and the the doctor and the sisters and God just like (laughs) back it on her. Literally like pushes her against this carriage and is like mine, 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 mine. And just like shoves his mouth on hers. And like, I, First of all, the first time I read that, I just, like, expired on the spot. Uh, Yeah. um, I needed some time to recover. But at this point, Devin is 100% all in on Kathleen. That is his his baby girl. And Mm -hmm. this is also the moment of relief for Kathleen where she's also kind of all in on him, too. Yeah. Even though she knows, like, he doesn't want to marry. He's got all these other priorities. But she's still like, I'll take what I can get. Yeah. Um, and so this is the part of the novel where Kathleen decides to be less proprietous, I guess is the word, which I love. Oh, yeah. Um, so much less proprietous. Yeah. Um, talking about sneaking into his room, checking on the patient, getting in his bed. Yes, ma'am. Uh-huh. Um, but Reese. Reese um, now has to convalesce at Eversby Priory for about a month. Um but during his early stay, like the first few days after the accident, he's feverish. He is not reacting well to treatment. He's being he a big old bear. absolute grump. He will not let himself be taken care of. He is cussing at the staff. He is cussing at Kathleen. And they have all had it. So this is when yeah. Helen steps up to the plate. Yeah, she's like, I, let me try. Because she's just good at people. Yeah. And so she's, like, cradling his head like a baby. She's making him orchid tea. She's, like, putting salve on his lips, like, reading to him and telling him about orchids. And it is, like, disgustingly, nauseatingly soft and sweet. I love it. Especially because we know that Winterborn is a huge fucking bear. Yeah, Um, he's a huge bear. And also, like, him being a grump, like, this is just how he is in general. Like, we find this out. Like, yeah. 
he just yeah. ha he has zero patience. He has zero, like, I won't say zero empathy, but he's really short on it. Um, yeah, he, well, he, like, he expects people to do better. Like, he, he doesn't want like his time being better. wasted. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he's always so, looking at his watch, like, that guy. Always. Um, he, like, his, like, long-suffering secretary keeps that calendar to a T. Uh, just um, amazing. Yeah, Fernsby. So, yeah, so at this point, Helen is, like, caring for a half-blind Winterborn. At this point, Winterborn's eyes are still bandaged. He cannot see Helen. She's just this soft, angelic creature who's just, like, caring for him so gently and so softly. Um, and then, of course, the doctor finally comes, and Reese's eyes are going to be fine. He heals up. He finally lays his big goo-goo eyes on Helen, and that's all she wrote. Yeah. Um, at that moment, Reese has a conversation with Devin where Devin lays it out that he is willing to let Reese court her, knowing mm -hmm. that it would be a come down for her in station, knowing that Reese is not of her own class, knowing that Reese is a big grumpy grump who's probably going to make her miserable. And Reese uh, not only agrees with all of that, but also is like, yeah, but I don't care. I don't care. I'm going to have her. She's mine, Which, and she's going to be yeah. Lady... The minute he hears Lady Helen Winterborn, he's done. And you After know what? That. She also, like, clearly is feeling oh, something. she's stupid into him. Like, as she's, like, caring for him, and she's, like, like brushing her hands through his, like, he's little so curls, and, and listening to his rough accent. Like, oh, Helen oh, is... Helen is down. Welshman. <laughs> Welshman. Um, now, what I do especially appreciate about Lisa Clavis's books is that they don't always fall into that trap of like, oh, it's just it's if they had just communicated well. Oh yeah, no. all of this could have been avoided. I have to say, her characters communicate. Like they any misunderstandings, any yeah. misunderstandings due to like bad communication are usually dealt with very quickly. Yeah, I would say like Helen has a harder time, but yeah. you know why. Yeah, but I, but and... it's also cleared up at the literally like the second chapter of book two. Yeah. It doesn't last very long. Well, um, there's a big plot point. Well, about... there's, that's, that's a specific lie that she's withholding, but yeah. the, but like the big misunderstanding. So at this point, Reese thinks that Helen is not into him. Yes. Um, he, he's reading her shyness as like low key, like disgust because that's kind of what he's been met with in the past. Yeah. He's like, um, she thinks she's too good for me. Oh, well. <laughs> yeah. But he's also like kind of bitter about it too. So he's a little rude to her later in the book, but we'll get there. Yeah. Um, and, but that's, but that's really important because like he's completely misunderstanding the situation. Um, and because Helen is really naive, she doesn't know how to overcome that hurdle. But, like, by chapter two of book two, she's explained all of that. And he understands, like, oh, so she's yeah. not, like, completely disgusted by me. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so at this point, Winterborn has leave to court Helen. And he's definitely going to do it. Um, at this point, Devin and Kathleen um, are, they are doing it. Yeah, he they is, are doing he, it. He is well, eating her out in carriages. Yeah, he's eating her out in carriages. He's eating her out in the tack room. Um, these white people are fucking. Yeah. Um, meanwhile, he's putting these back white his horse people. <laughs> they are fucking. Um, and um, he's like putting off his return to London because he doesn't want to leave Kathleen, even though he absolutely needs to go back to London to find money. That's a huge, huge plot point is money. So right now, 
Tom, him, he and Tom Severin are arguing because Tom's trying to squeeze him for all he's worth. And Tom is the the train guy. Tom is yeah. into trains. And Tom's into trains and arguing. Yeah. Trains <laughs> Tom is into trains and arguing, and we love it. Yeah. The problem is his friends don't always love it. Yeah, because he is um, willing to just, like, argue with his friends endlessly to get what he wants. But the thing is, is, even if he doesn't win for the trains. argument, he just wants to argue. I was going to say, he just wants... He expects yeah, he wants to win. the challenge. He wants to win. Yeah. He, he expects to win, but even if he doesn't, as long as he gets to argue, he's fine. Yeah. And we love that. Um, so, yeah. So he's making some poor decisions to stay at the house with Kathleen and keep making sweet, sweet love to her because he's a dumb, constipated baby who can't say that he loves her. Yeah. Um, until... So was, yeah, I was going to say, this is when we get the Bridgerton-esque scene. Yeah. So Kathleen gets some really distressing news about her father being very gravely injured and he chose not to let her know. So yeah. she is finding out at well after the fact from a servant... Um, and is very understandably upset. And now Kathleen, uh, Devin sees his baby girl, um, completely losing at the breakfast table and tells everybody to get the fuck out. And then of course they proceed to make sweet, sweet love on the floor of the dining room. Now Kathleen gets a little caught up in the throes of passion. Yeah. Um, and because we have established she is a horsewoman, she's got thighs that uh, could kill a man. And so she's caught up in the throes of passion and Devin does not pull out in time before finishing because she's just like locked on him and like will not get off. Yeah. Um, and Devin, there's nothing that scares Devin more besides love and affection than being a father. Like more Raven else. Yeah. Um, and so at this moment, he completely freaks out um, and insists that all of the Ravenel women have to come with him to London so he can keep an eye on them, but yeah. also so he can keep an eye on Kathleen and find out if she's going to, if there's going to be a little, a little Ravenel. Yeah. And so in Bridgerton, a very similar scene happens, but like Daphne takes advantage of Simon. Yeah. Um, and it's gross. At, in the Bridgerton scene, Daphne has information that she is withholding from Simon and she has ulterior motives. Um, yeah. And she does what she does in anger and in bitterness instead. And, and it wasn't she, just like a mistake. And she wants a child and he does not. It is yeah. not a mistake. It is very intentional and gross once again. <laughs> Whereas Kathleen fully understands that like Devin is never going to offer her marriage. This is just an affair. Um, doesn't want to call it an affair. There can be no child. So she's yeah. not, she does not disagree with Devin's reasons for pulling out. She just gets too, she gets a little too digmatized and just gets caught up in the throes. Um, yeah. And then suddenly, uh oh, there could be a baby. And so, of course, Devin does not behave very badly because he is a rake and he cannot always be trusted to behave well. And he's a raven owl. And he's a raven owl. So he packs <laughs> up all the girls. And actually, he is a little devious because he personally writes to Lady Barrack after having to hear about this woman for months. He personally writes to Lady Barrack um, and asks if it would be appropriate to bring the Ravenel girls to London with him. And so Kathleen's all ready so to be good. like, oh, we're in mourning. It's not appropriate. It's not appropriate. And he's like, oh, that's so interesting because someone told me. And then he goes to quote Lady Barrack's letter from memory. Yeah. Uh, and it's so and then produce it for Kathleen. And it's such a good yeah. trump card. Like, it's so good. Yeah, because she just 
wants to get away from him and his thing he's got yeah. going on. Well, because she's freaking out too. Because at this point, they both know they love each other. They yeah. know it. But um, she also, yeah, she has she's a practical the, woman. Yeah, she's been like, he can't give me what I want, so I'm just gonna do me. Um, yeah. This is an, an affair because affairs. That's a that's a thing. That's an arrangement. This is just what we have is nothing. We just yeah. fucking have feelings. Yeah. But the thing is, like, it's so funny to me how like Devin openly acknowledges how he feels about her, but just can't put a name to it because he's just so emotionally stunted. Like yeah. literally from the first moment she like cries in his arms in the stable. He what is the first thing he fucking asks her before she leaves? He asks her how long the morning period is before he could even like yes. consider why he was asking that. Uh-huh. And, then he, and then he's telling himself throughout the whole novel, he's playing the long game, he's playing the long game, but playing it for what? You already said you're not gonna marry her and you don't want a family. But it's like it's like he just already knows before he knows, you know? Yeah, he's just like, I guess she'll be something <laughs> yeah. she'll be something to me maybe she'll be something very permanent to me in a way that's like a wife but also not at all like a wife yeah and she's mine nobody touch her touch her and die that's like, true. like he sees her and west being all buddy buddy and he's like oh my god does west want to fuck kathleen and west is like i could think of no. 50 things i'd rather do than fuck kathleen yeah uh no absolutely not but nice of you to ask um yeah, so so they're in London, um, and then everybody's mad. C- Kathleen's really mad. Devin feels bad, but can't stop also being like a scared little tit. Um, and is also just like, I need you within my sight at all times because I love you, but I won't say it. I love you, and you're probably carrying my child, but also I hate you. You cannot possibly be carrying my child, but also stay where I can see you at all times. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. Kathleen is totally uh, chill about all of that. I was going to say, they have the most... Uh, antagonistic relationship and love it. Like, that's just yeah. what they're into. <laughs> their, their foreplay is hating each other, really. Yeah. Because, like, they, they've barely spoken for, like, two weeks, and then they're left alone for ten minutes at Winterborns, and suddenly he's like, I'm gonna fuck you on this counter. Like, right here. Yeah. It's pretty wild. Um, but also, uh, their first trip to Winterborns is also the start of Helen's engagement. Yes. Yes. Helen has been, she was writing letters to him, too. Like, she has been hardcore pro Reese, like, the whole time. Yeah. And so they do, like, a short, like, courtship. Yeah. And the thing is, at this, at, during this time period, about. well, I think during this time period, a formal courtship is supposed to be, like, six weeks, right? Yeah, and Kathy yeah, is mad that Devin because they're engaged inside like three weeks. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Kathleen does not want this match to go forward. She thinks, like, like the women of her class, she thinks Winterborn is crass. He is lowborn. He is going to lower Helen. He's going to make Welsh. her miserable. <laughs> He's Welsh, as Lady Barrack would say, a Welshman. Welshman. <laughs> Welshman. Um, I love the they way could Mary charm Jane the pants off a saint. Is like my favorite line she says. Oh, the pens of a saint. <laughs> yeah, he could. He could. He could. Um, but yeah, so without any real understanding of who Helen is, um, Reese is just really captured by the title and by the fact that she's really gentle and sweet. And yeah. like 
proposes in a way that is probably it coercive, is a but it, gentle it, goddess. The thing is, like, it's the proposal is probably coercive, but it does yeah. happen off page, so we don't know that for sure. But um, Helen's and, got some mixed feelings about it. Yeah, Helen has mixed feelings about it, but at the same time, she's like, "I need to know more about this weird guy." Yeah, like he's she's so not, weird. I love him. It's so yeah, basically Helen. Like he's just he's just makes he makes himself so unknowable, and yeah. all Helen wants is just to know him. But at this point, he still has a bit of a chip on his shoulder because, again, he assumes that Helen is not actually into him. Yeah. Um, and so their love story doesn't really get going until the next book. But at this point, though, like, they are pretty down bad for each other. And you do want to root for these kids. But the engagement goes off about as well as, like, a bag of cats. Um, yeah. It, it does not go well. Um he buys her this absolute monstrosity of a ring that's just meant to be like a status thing. Yeah. Um, the biggest, most expensive ring. Yeah. Um, I, I, Helen has given him her most finicky orchid to look after. Oh, that's so good. I love that part. Yeah. And her, like, her sisters are like, why did you give him that one? And she's fully like, yeah, you know what? I don't know. I'm just following my heart here. Yeah. Yeah, and so that he gives her a ring. She gives him a very fussy orchid. Kathleen and Devin are barely speaking to each other. But also, um, Kathleen is like puzzled. She's like, "Well, I guess she's into him." Yeah, Kathleen doesn't fully understand it. Um, and then, and of course, I don't think anybody does at first. Honestly, no. they really I, don't. Yeah, I I didn't at first, even though I loved it. I'm like, I don't understand these guys, but oh my god, they belong together. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, let's see. And then... Um, crap, Reese I forgot. Reese out on Helen. Yeah, so... At some point, wait, because wait, he tries to kiss her. Wait, Devin and Kathleen have a big argument before that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, so, um, at this point... Um, Oh, yeah. Okay. I remember now. I remember now. Sorry. I needed a minute. So, yeah. yeah. Um, Devin thinking that Kathleen is not pregnant because um, she tells him that she's not. Yeah. Um, he is suddenly urged to go back to Eversley Priory by Wes at all possible haste. And now yes. at this point, he has secured the railroad contract after many days of horrible negotiations. <laughs> with his yeah. Best, after with his arguing with Severin. Um, because. He wants, so Tom he, knows something that Devin doesn't at this point. Yeah, and he's stubbornly, like, they're both just, like, he walks out of yeah. the negotiation and Tom yells at him from the street. Yeah, Incredible. so Devin, Devin lets his temper get the better of him and decides that he doesn't need any of Tom's fucking money and actually Tom can just go fuck himself because Tom is just arguing with him about the stupidest minutiae and he doesn't understand why Tom is just continuing to like hold out on this deal. Um, and so he's like, you know what? Screw you, squirrel whole friendship. I'm leaving. And then on the street, Tom like pokes his head out. Okay, we got a deal. Yeah, um, yeah. You can have the mineral rights, which is what well, they've been arguing over. Yeah, they argue about the mineral rights. Um, and so which um, always keep the mineral the- rights on your land, by the way. Yes. If you're selling things, always keep the mineral rights. This book taught me about mineral rights and burlesque taught me about oh. air rights. Really? You know what taught me about mineral rights is the book of Killers of the Flower Moon. I've not seen Really? Yeah, but the book taught me about mineral rights. That's so interesting. Um, 
No, this book taught me about mineral rights and burlesque taught me about air rights. Um, <laughs> I'm grateful to both, both good lessons to know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so Always the, the mineral rights. So Devin has like literally the ink is still wet on the contract when he gets a telegram from Wes saying, you got to come home right the hell now. So, yeah. he, so he thinks Kathleen is not pregnant. He's feeling very complicated feelings about that. Um, Wes is not telling him what the hell is going on. Yeah. And so he's in like a bad mood. Um, and then he gets to his estate and they're like digging, digging shit up. And he's like, what is happening? And Wes is like, by the way, we found this super rare, sturdy ore. Yeah, we under, found this like, phenotype. On, under and, like a whole part of the yeah. property. And also we're fucking rich. Yeah, we're rich now. Um, you don't even have to smelt this on site. Yeah. That's how pure this hematite is. Like, and even better, you just signed this railroad contract. So we'll have a way to transport this rare yeah. hematite off of the property. Um, and of course, it's when they both realized that Tom knew that this deposit was there and Tom was yeah, trying to ship like, them out of millions like of dollars. Tom. And so at this point, Classic. they're mad at Tom. They're mad at Tom. They have a way to save the estate. Helen doesn't have to marry Winterborn for the sake of her family. And Devin realizes that he wants to be a family man after all. Yeah, yeah. So then She's he has like, to rush, rush back to London. <laughs> but of course, while he's gone, um, Winterborn and Helen have a disagreement in that Reese makes a move on her and tries to like, like passionately kiss her. And because Helen is Helen, she's like, am I being attacked? Yeah. So um, Helen, Winterborn kisses Helen and Helen is not expecting it and is like, he's trying to stick his tongue in my mouth. What is this? And like backs away. And of course, Winterborn takes that as like her being disgusted in him for being a lowborn commoner. Correct. Because he has all people have so many issues. <laughs> He has the self-esteem of a napkin. Yeah. Um, um, well, we know he's got a big cock. He says it enough times in book two. But oh, yes. apart from that, he's got nothing except a few billion dollars. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So he... But he has absolutely leaves, nothing. <laughs> yeah. So he, he leaves in a huff. He's extremely upset. Helen is extremely upset. Um, and Helen takes to her room with a headache after... She gets like, a migraine when she's stressed. Yeah. Yeah, and she's she's the kind of girly who gets stress migraines, which I empathize with that. That really sucks. I was gonna say, oh my god, that's yeah. horrible. Especially since we they, we don't they don't have Excedrin in these times. So you just gotta like live with it. Yeah. Um so well, they have a version of it. But yeah. Yeah, they have like the, the BC powder. So yeah. she um has like a moment of hysteria and it's just like I just I never want to see him again. I'm so embarrassed. I just wanna go lay down and forget this day ever happened. Um, and so Kathleen, who has been looking for a way to dissolve this courtship from the jump, is like, oh, you never want to see him again. And then takes it upon herself to go to Reese's office alone. Um, yep. He treats her like Which absolute scandalous. garbage. Scandalous. Because she's alone. Um, and then he and treats that's her basically like giving garbage. the man uh, permission to take liberties, apparently. Correct. Yeah, because she didn't bring a chaperone. She didn't bring a maid. She is just... A, a young widow alone in this very powerful man's house. Like she's not even in his office. She's at his house. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, which is already like miscalculated move on Kathleen's part because she's going to his territory. He's already feeling really wounded because we know already that he's like super into Helen and he's definitely very hurt by what happened because he's misunderstanding the whole situation. And so Kathleen. He's kind of in- terrible. Like. Yeah. Kathleen is kind engagement. of terrible. Kathleen ends the engagement in a very offensive way. He reacts in a very offensive way. Um, he tries to scare her. And unfortunately, this is the moment where Devin comes in. Yeah. 
Um, so and as Winterborn is threatening to force and die, of course, is Devin's thing at this point. Yeah. Um, I'm, touch my wife and die. Well, we, she's not my wife yet, but she will be. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So he gives Reese what for, basically tries to end their friendship um, while also considering his murder. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Takes Kathleen home. And then we get like our big love confession. Yeah. Um, and then turns out Kathleen was lying. She's actually pregnant. He's just like, what were you going to do? She's like, I was going to leave. I was going to go find a, like a sweet little place in the country and just like never She's talk to you really again. really attached to the idea of living in a little house in the country. In that way, Kathleen is so relatable to me because like when my problems get overwhelming, I too imagine just running away from all of them and just finding oh, a little country cottage to live out I my day. I love running away from my problems. She is so relatable. Yeah. Um, and so, yes, um, they, uh, they declare their love for each other. They elope. Um, it's like a whole thing. Yeah. Um, meanwhile, Helen is miserable and Winterborn is miserable. And that's, and that's the end of the book. That's the end of the book is where we leave off. Winterborn and Helen are miserable. And Helen has found out that this has happened and. Yeah. The engagement has been d- dissolved by Reese's part. She is and- rightfully upset because, A, she didn't ask to end the engagement. It happened without her consent. And he gave back her orchid, her yeah. love orchid, it in was perfect like, condition. Perfect condition. He'd, like, really been taking care of their love orchid. Yeah. Yeah. It's, like, the sweetest little metaphor. Yeah. And, um, so, and so at this point, feelings are just hurt. It- and like she knows that his pride is hurt, and then like it's like one of the last moments in the book is she's just like poor Reese, yeah, like, not poor Helen, no. poor Reese. Like she just is like automatically like she just wants to take care of him, her sweet baby. I know. I know. Yeah, it's okay, Helen. You'll get your chance. Yes. But yeah. So so in this book, this book has everything. This book has family drama. This book has inheritance drama. This book has. Um, like noble poverty this book has um, yeah it has everything it has a friend that wants to argue about trains it has um, virgin widows yeah virgin people. widows longing glances mutual pining ah one of my favorite pining friends to lovers they are enemies to lovers <laughs> and very and very steamy smut, smut sequences where the heroine absolutely gets hers oh, i yeah. do lo- i do love how realistic their first time was so whenever he finally yes. like like cashes in Kathleen's virginity. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's done. I was like, I just reread it like earlier today just to like refresh my memory. But like, it really is done so realistically. Like she doesn't, she doesn't come. Um, no. And it's like uncomfortable, but not in like an unbearable way, but definitely in a, I'm definitely going to be sore tomorrow kind of way. Yeah. Um, and then because she didn't finish, Devin's like, guess we got to stay up all night till you do. Yeah. My king. Thank you. He's, he is, like, we learned that he is, like, I said scoundrel, but he's really, you know. He's not that much of a scoundrel. He's not. He's, like, he's together. He's, like, taking care of his brother that he recognizes is on the verge of alcoholism and is gaining weight and a pouchy belly. Like, he's worried about his brother. He doesn't want this estate. He hated his cousin. Like... But he takes it upon himself. Like, he's not. Yeah. yeah. He, he tries so hard to convince us that, like, he really is a rake. But it's like, here are the facts, your honor. Yeah. 
Um, yeah. Prior to inheriting this title, okay, he he got both him and him and his brother through school. Um, he has managed his inheritance in a way that is very smart. He is in zero debt. He keeps like his own very nice apartments. He is able to like occasionally keep a mistress or like have affairs. Um, he's, he belongs to like, not a first class club, but definitely a second class club. Like yeah, he belongs to a club. He makes horrible friends there that we love. Yeah. Yeah. But the point is he is doing very well for himself. He has managed just fine up to now. Um, and so it really doesn't make sense to me that everyone acts like he's so irresponsible and he couldn't possibly run this estate. Like, I don't know. He seems pretty capable to me. Yeah, he seems super capable. And, you know, at some point, Kathleen is just like, I believe in you because he like, he's like, I can't do this. So like from the get go, she's had this like weird belief in him while also hating him, while also yeah. loving him and being super into him, while also being like, I live to get on his nerves, which is yes. amazing. Like the dynamic of their relationship, like they're both like just kind of annoying people. And oh my god, the trousers versus the breeches. Oh my gosh. Okay, so at one point in the book, um, Kathleen, because she's a horsewoman, she's a special riding skirt that has breeches under the skirt to, so she can ride astride. And now she has been walking around in these breeches all over the estate on this day that Devin happens to also be returned to town. Yeah, it's easier for her to run around in the breeches while training the Arabian that threw Theo. Um, right. So... Um, and because Devin is Devin and uh, possess a fit of jealousy, it tells her that she is not allowed to walk around the estate uh, without her skirts on. Yeah. Um, what he specifically tells her is that she can't wear breeches. And yeah. so, of course, because she is Kathleen and she lives to give him an ulcer, um, she's like, okay, bet. I've got another riding skirt with trousers underneath it. Yeah. She's like, I got trousers. It's okay. Um <laughs> And then how does and then how does Devin punish her for wearing those trousers by eating her out in a carriage? Yeah. God bless. Yeah. We could all be so lucky. We love them. Even yeah. though they're both annoying people. And like every time Kathleen is like, oh, I've made him so mad now, he's like, guess again. Yeah. Just made me horny. Yeah, exactly. I'm mad and horny. Like, <laughs> Kathleen, at some point you gotta understand how this works. Yeah. And then, but like they really do throughout the rest of the books become like this very power couple dynamic. Like that oh, is, yes. they become so, so in sync with each other as the books go on. And they really do become like the matriarch and patriarch of this, of this growing family. Like it really is nice yeah. to see by the end of the books. But it's so funny because like the estate for the most part kind of does recognize them as Lord and Lady Trenere kind of from the oh, get go. Yes. From the beginning. Like, yeah. Like the, they they receive they receive all of their tenants over Christmas together as Lord and Lady Trenere, even though they're not married. Um, yeah, and like that is definitely again, so obvious. Everybody knows they're doing it. Yeah, like they these people Except are not Cassandra subtle. and Pandora. They don't understand, but yeah. everybody but else everybody is knows. Like, yeah, like the housekeeper really knows. Yeah. Oh yeah, the housekeeper is. Very, very into the idea of them getting together. Yeah, yeah. All of the servants are like, that's okay. Well, a big part of it is like the servants have had three months alone with Kathleen, who's just trying mm -hmm. to hold it the hell together. They really respect Kathleen. Yeah. Um, and then Devin 
And then Devin comes in and not only decides to like make a go of it when he doesn't have to, but also he saves all the second class passengers after the train accident. So yeah, yeah, the whole household is like very much team Devlin. Yeah. Yeah, they're into it. The household, yeah. the the whole freaking county. <laughs> now, they're do you do you agree that Kathleen and Devin's argument after he doesn't pull out? Do you think that that counts as a third act breakup? Yeah, I do. Okay. I hate I, I personally hate that. a third act breakup. To me, this one didn't really feel like a breakup because he didn't just like abandon her. Like he yeah, still he like didn't he abandon her, and he's like, when she's like, if I have a child, then you ha- you don't have to take any responsibility. And he's like, like hell, like, the fuck, I won't. Yeah. Um, like at, at like at no point is he ever going to do the dishonorable thing. Yeah, even though but, he really wants to. At no yeah, point but does she's he. just like, I'm going to give him an out. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to go to my cottage. It really is. She's right. like afraid of giving him more responsibility in, in some sort of weird twisted way. Yeah. Oh, I mean, he definitely reacted badly to the situation, even though he was like just as responsible for it. Um, and like, also, he, doesn't, he, he knows that they're kind of toxic a little bit. Yeah. And the thing is, at no point does he blame her. Like he gets it. Yeah. Like this is her first real bout of like, a, like a true passionate affair she's young yeah. she kind of lost herself a little bit accidents happen at no point does he blame her for it he really blames himself and fate yeah. and also is just really scared yeah yeah he's really scared and she's just like when we're together we live to hate each other so yeah. maybe we shouldn't um, but of course but i love how he's like but i don't hate you she's like shut up yes you do and he's like Okay, I guess I hate you. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, I guess I hate you. Okay. Because you said so, I guess I do. Okay, hot lady. Whatever you say, girly, are, are we still fucking? Yeah, right? Yeah, they... Yeah, they just... This is... And, it's a third some act way, breakup on like, her part, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, it's a, I guess it counts as a third act breakup. And, like, I don't know that their situation technically counts as like a miscommunication type of thing. If only because like they have been super honest about their trauma, like throughout the whole thing. So like Kathleen at no point is mad at Devin for the way he is reacting. Yeah. Um, She's very practical about it. She's a very practical lady. They they, like keep repeating that phrase. She is a practical lady. Like, she gets it. She understands this is not what he wants. At no point is she trying to pressure him or trap him. Um, mm-hmm. At no point does she have any, like, designs or hopes that he'll change his mind. She has accepted from the beginning that this is, like, this affair has an end date. The only person who hasn't accepted that is Devin. Yeah. Devin is like, what are you talking about? <laughs> Devin had no end game, no exit strategy, um... So, and in a, a lot of ways, this, like, this kind of story, what I like about Lisa Kleypas is, like, she definitely has her moments of, like, it's a little problematic, but yeah. there's never a moment where I'm, like, red flag, red flag on the play, this is, this is already yeah. a bad start. Yeah, and I think the other thing is, like, it's so, like, it mirrors such modern confusion about, like, hookups, yeah. where people are just, like, no, we're not a thing. 
and then the other person's like what do you what what does this mean i'm confused how you're labeling us as nothing but we're doing this thing i don't know which is like i feel like that's such a modern problem and to phrase it and put it in this like historical romance scenario is so good it's like oh my gosh okay so what you're saying is relationships have always been messy yeah relationships and hookups have always been weirdly defined and nobody knows what they're doing yeah okay (laughs) but at the end of the day what lisa claypas has done is she has not only created like a believable romance with two characters you like actively want to root for and believe could better each other at the end of the day She's also created a whole family of people that you that you want to root for in a very believable way. Yeah, you have the Ravenels at the end of this book, and you're like, I'm a Ravenel now. Yeah. I've and got the Ravenel temperament. I've got it. I've, I'm an Aries moon, like I said. Like, I've got the Ravenel temper, um, and I just want nothing but good things for all of these babies. And in my opinion, I do think all of the matches that are made in the subsequent books... Um, I do think all of those are very deserving matches. Like, I think each, everybody ended up with somebody that was, like, really right for them. And each of their romances was, like, really different. Um, I just, I don't know. I just really like this whole series. Yeah. I, I'm, i like, really into the beginning of this series. So, like, having read the first two books, I am very excited to read the next ones. Ugh. Yeah. yeah, I love this family so much. Uh, and the second book is so good. Oh, yeah. we're going to have a good all time. Well, and I, I do like how much they should read it. So but my academic background is in folklore studies. And so, of course, oh, I'm always okay. looking at how I'm always looking at how groups relate to each other. And yeah. what I do appreciate about this book specifically is how lived in this family feels. Like, this yes. is a family with history. They have inside jokes. They make references with each other that we don't get. Um, yeah. And I think it was really smart of her to put most of this book in Eversby Priory and establish a baseline for who these people are before yes. she dumps them all in London and all hell breaks loose. Yeah, I was going to say, before dumping them in London and everybody who's been fully feral is fully feral in London. Yeah. And it's absolutely beautiful. As someone who lives in chaos... Like, yeah. that is my element. Um, oh, my. I can't. Pandora's book is going to absolutely send you spinning into a different universe. Because literally the whole reason her betrothal comes about is because she's just a feral little gremlin who's just has the biggest heart and which, no sense of, like, consequences. Again, it's really relatable to me. Yeah. <laughs> I, too, am a feral little gremlin. That's my that's my part of the Ravenel temperament. Well, she's a feral little gremlin who, like falls into this betrothal as a direct consequence of just trying to be like a sweet good naive friend and not yeah. understanding the consequences of her own actions yeah so i think you're gonna have a lot of fun with that oh, I, but, I will. but yeah but this book ends with kathleen and Devin on their way to happily ever after it's not an immediate happily ever after for them because again yeah they have to deal with the sisters he's got a brother um, and they're, they still have to update the estate. Like, that didn't just happen overnight. Yeah. Now that they have the money to update it all, it's going to go much quicker. But keep in mind, like, this renovation is going to be ongoing through several books. It's a plot point for several books. Because um, if you've never owned or lived in an old house, it's always work. I currently live in a house that's, like, over 100 years old. Like, we own it. It's 
horrible. <laughs> we yeah. love our house. It's horrible. Um, in that it's always work. <laughs> yeah. So also relatable. Um, yeah. Very relatable the, for Devin. Uh, the uh, real estate listing for our house said has good bones. So, you know. But that's that's a nice way of saying, like, this house is not going to fall down around you while you fix it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But the thing is, I'd much rather fix up an old ass house. Because, like, like, people say it multiple times throughout the series. That, like, oh, my God, wouldn't it be cheaper to just bulldoze the damn house and be done with exactly. it? Exactly. They're like, And everybody is just so outraged by that. They're like, no, it's a history. Yeah. But that's me, though. Like, I'm that person who would rather spend years going through a miserable renovation than buy anything new. Yeah, I think there's a character and a moment that's a little bit too relatable for everyone in this series so far. What is it? Like, I really get Helen deeply as someone who loves plants and grumpy precise men. Um, Yeah. (laughs) I really get Pandora as a feral little gremlin. Yeah, and then Cassandra... I to argue... (laughs) So I do kind of feel bad for Cassandra because Cassandra is always just like the other twin. Like she is the other twin hardcore. People definitely kind of like overlook Cassandra because like she's beautiful and she's funny and she's sweet. Um, but she also like she wants that life where she's like married to like somebody of her own class and she has children and she has this yeah. pretty country estate and like she, she wants that fantasy. I was gonna say she, at the end of the day, is way better at, like, living the normal person life than Pandora. But Pandora is, like, such a strong, feral gremlin yes. that she's just pulled along for everything. And well, once again, Pandora, big relief. Pandora, well, I mean, Pandora is her best friend and is the true love of Cassandra's life. Like, they, oh, yeah. these two would fight anybody for each other. But oh, Cassandra yeah. is very protective of Pandora. They all are because, as I said before, I do think Pandora is um, ASD-coded. Oh, yeah. 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 And and you see it a lot more in her book because she's so particular about very specific things and she thinks about things in very um, black and white, very practical sort of ways. There's not and a lot of nuance there. she just pulls out random facts, like, constantly. Yeah. Yes. Which, yeah. And, like, makes up words and, and stuff like that. Um, like, so, my brother is, yeah, is autistic as hell and, yeah, always is just, like, throw, throwing random facts out there. I love it. <laughs> yeah so um yeah so Pan- so cassandra i i started paying more attention to cassandra when i reread the books just because i also made the mistake of just like kind of ignoring cassandra through my first reread um but i think the the moments of like sweetness in her book really hit harder once you like really start paying more attention to her in the background yeah i mean i i've been paying attention to her a little bit because i'm like you know, I feel bad for her as someone who's just, like, going with the flow, even though yeah. she, you know, has her thing going on. And she is still a little feral. Mm-hmm. She doesn't know how to live the life, but she wants to. But yeah. she has her sister that she's there for who absolutely does not want to live the life. No. No. Future entrepreneur Pandora. Love her. Girl boss. <laughs> but, like, Girl. in the good way girl boss in a way that's appropriate yeah good girl um, boss 
But yeah, so we've got Cassandra, we've got Pandora, we've got Lady Helen, West, who like is a different oh. man by the end of this book. Yeah, he's he's all felt. He's still just like a rake who's gonna say the most scandalous things in conversation, which is hilarious. Yeah. But he's like together, people respect him. Yeah. <laughs> he's still well, just West, like West can't reluctantly. take anything. West yeah. just can't take anything seriously. West, above all things, is a mouth. He is always eating. He is always talking. Drinking. Drinking. Well, not anymore. He curbs that. He curbs that. But, yeah. but he's always eating. Literally, nobody talks about food more than West Ravenel. Yeah. Um, and uh, he's always talking. He's just so chatty. Um, yeah, he's... You'll, you'll really like his book. I think his book is low-key the most romantic, aside from Helen's. Oh yeah, just, I could see that. He's just, he's, just because of who he is. Yeah. He's a big softy. He's a big romantic. He's um, taking care of everybody. He's like yeah. he like it's on Devin so many times for the way Devin treats Kathleen. Yes. Like the whole time he's just like, Why are you doing this? You like oh. her. Why are you treating her like this, you dingus? Well, West has a soft spot for the underdog he has a soft spot for people he think are in a an unfair position and you get you get more of why once you get his backstory and his book um a, a little more insight into why he is such a defender to the innocent like that um but yeah it just it really is crazy to me that he shows up at the start of this novel in his like silky waistcoat like pudgy looking like bloated and gross from heavy drinking um he has no stamina. He doesn't want to be in the country. Too like by the end of this book, he's like, I would die for Eversby Priory. Yeah, I love. Even though he like acts like he hates it, he's like, yeah. I would still sell it if it were my decision. I'm gonna go out to the field now. Bye. It's like good natured teasing because yeah. nobody takes him seriously. Everybody's like, Yeah, sure, sure, West. He's just running his mouth. Um, and he, he starts to get this like really funny rapport with the, fa- the other farm workers too, that again, by the time you get to his book, it really is like West for president. Yeah. Um, no, he's actually by, wait, by West book- for vice president, Lady Barry. <laughs> actually, actually, wait, I take that back. Um, yes, by West book, you'll get to see like all these great changes, but there are some immaculate West moments in the doctor's book. Okay, good. Like immaculate. Like we'll get to the doctor for the second book. She's incredible. Yeah. Um, the but second book's incredible. Second book is easily one of my favorites in the whole series. Um yeah. oh actually I have a confession. I never read the last book, the one about Merit. Oh, so we're gonna get to we're yeah, gonna get to I, that together. It's, it's not as highly rated as the other books, and it's also only like tangentially about the Ravenels. Like she's yeah. like she's actually I think she's a friend of um yeah, she's like a friend of a friend. She's not really at all related to the Ravenels. Um, so I just never got around to reading it, but I can yeah. for this. I think a lot of like series, the last book, the author is just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Gregory's book in Bridgerton. Well, technically he is a Bridgerton, so he gets a book. Yeah, I'm just I saying mean... he's a Bridgerton, but like he's but Merit didn't is easily the weakest. Um, in my opinion. I still think book one is pretty weak well, okay I you're right you're right i hate i hate daphne 
I also, I also have a soft spot for Gregory's dumbass. Me too. Um, He's so Greg, sweet, but like, like I wish the, the last born son of eight kids from a love, like one of the most infamous love matches ever in the town. Oh my god, yes. Um, and then he's also he was born of a love match and was raised around only love matches. So the fact that he's just like goo goo gaga the entire entirety of his novel is so funny to me because it's like Anthony, that's your son. You raised that kid. You raised that kid. This is your dumbass romantic of a son. Well, you know, makes sense given Anthony. It will. It will also never not be funny to me that he makes Lucy have twelve kids. Oh God, yeah. First of all, because I bet she's thriving. <laughs> With all those kids to manage. Um, but yeah, it's just so funny. He's just so... Gregory is so funny to me. No, I think Daphne's book is the weakest. But also, T, I do think... I do think Colin and Penelope's books is one of my least favorites. If only because I do not like Penelope and I do not like Colin. Oh, you don't like Penelope? I just can't condone some of Penelope's behavior. They're, honestly, yeah. series, TV series, Penelope is way worse, in my opinion. Yeah, um, I think so, too. Even though I like that actress. Oh, I love her, but she's, like, low-key a sociopath. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I just... There's a lot about Penelope I just do not condone. Um, I mean, I think we makes. both... Our favorite character is both Hyacinth, I think. Oh, no, you're an Anthony fan. You're, like, a diehard. Oh, my baby. But I love baby. Hyacinth. I love Francesca, too, actually. Oh, yeah, Francesca's good. Francesca's, like, the Helen of the Bridgertons. Yeah, I... Yeah, I agree with that. Except, actually, but, I was gonna say, except she has steamy or sex, but you know what? That's not true. They both no, get theirs. No, it is not true. No, they they both definitely get theirs. The Welshman. The Welsh. The Welshman. I mean, look, Francesca's <laughs> got that. Francesca's got that cottage, but but Helen's got yeah. the Welshman. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's not get sidetracked. The Bridgerton. We could go. We could be here for hours, but um. <laughs> This is not but a yeah, but the, yet. Yeah. But, but but the point is, I didn't read the last book, but I will for you. Okay, good. Good. We'll do it. We're going to do it. We're going to have the second book coming out for y'all. You can listen to us ramble more about our love of historical romances uh, because that is that's where we live. Um, yeah. That is, that, is, that is my home. I have built a three bedroom, two bath, um, split level with a pool. I was going to say, um, I have genre. a fashionable townhouse with indoor plumbing. Oh, your fashionable townhouse with your... In- yes, <laughs> correct. No, I'm even thinking of a I'm very modern low-born. home. Even though I'm low-born. Even though low-born. Yeah, I'm Cajun, girl. It's hard to get lower-born than that. Yeah. You're you're almost Welsh. It's okay. Yeah, let me put my... I'll put my... I built a nice swamp shack right in the middle of this genre. The Cajuns. <laughs> The K, the Cajuns <laughs> <laughs> said nobody ever. And nobody ever. Anyway, anyway, this has been um our first historical interlude. Um, and we'll be back with another eventually. Um, we'll be back to regular programming next week. Um, and then I've got very very special specific plans for december i'm so excited to surprise y'all with your christmas gift um yeah so uh this has been plot is optional it's been edited recorded by me us everybody involved um well edited by me but yeah you can uh listen to us on spotify youtube amazon music the places 
Um, yeah. I love you. Bye. Bye.